Hi everyone and welcome to Riskologists. This podcast is brought to you by Optimize and hosted by me, Pat Bradshaw. Optimize are thrilled to host this podcast series where we'll be speaking with some of risk management's most respected and esteemed thought leaders from across the UK and beyond. Throughout this series, we'll be exploring our guests' journey within risk management, as well as delving into their unique insights and invaluable first-hand experiences around some of the industry's most pressing topics. Our goal? To create a platform in which ideas and thoughts can be shared in order to inspire and educate our audience and to ultimately give back to the risk management community across the world. So without further ado, let's get into it. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Riskologists. As always, I'm your host, Pat Bradshaw, and today joined by a really special guest, um, Donna Festerazzi of Stantec. Donna, thanks very much for coming on. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. Pleasure's all ours. How was my, uh, how was my pronunciation, by the way? I think that's the first time I've, uh, I've tried to uh, pronounce your surname whilst we've been catching up. Yeah, I think um, in, my, in my eyes and it, listening to it, it's fine. My husband would say Festerazzi. Festerazzi. Yeah, yes, that's how he would pronounce it. <laughs> is, it's, is it Italian? I take it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Scottish Italian sounds like a sounds like a great mix. Fighting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah. Um, so just to jump straight into it, really. So I think quite a um, a logical place to start with these things, Donna, is just to. I suppose, do a little bit of a journey to date from yourself, really. So um, I guess how you got into risk management or fell into it, as, as most people tend to. Um, and yeah, just a little bit of a, a bit of a timeline of your career, really, leading up to this, this very point. So yeah, fire away. So um, I started, actually, when I was leaving high school, I was trying to think about what I wanted to do as a career. Yeah. And I was one of those, I suppose, teenagers that, that wanted to do a bit of everything. And when I was looking through um, university prospectus, I couldn't, I, everything was very specific and specialized. And I think I was very fortunate. It was one of the first kind of years that risk management was being offered in Glasgow Caledonian. Okay. And it just had a little bit of law, a little bit of maths, a little bit of everything. So it really, really pleased me and um, so that's how I actually started so my journey has been very much risk management so I completed an honours degree in risk management I left and went to work in a major rail company um, where I started in London and I was in the insurance um, department as an insurance risk analyst and in that, I was um, doing major claims um, and, and understanding risk in treasury, et cetera. I then moved internally um, following a major rail incident. I moved internally to the safety risk department. Okay. And I was doing much more project management. And I, I felt that I probably just hadn't, hadn't really found my niche in risk as there's so much to do in risk management. So I, I moved again to Project Risk within the same organisation. It was a great organisation for versatility and being able to move around. And I found myself in the Project Risk department. And from 2003, that is where I found my area of risk management. And that, that's where I love to be. I love to see things getting built. So in 2003, I was um, 
a project risk analyst doing learning things like QCRAs. I'm very fortunate to be um, one of the kind of first organisations in the UK to be running QSRAs. Oh, wow. um, really what I, I also got to implement um, one of the first trust systems. Um, so really enjoyed my time in that project and seeing major projects getting built. I kind of worked my way up over the next seven years um, to the head of head of risk in, in Scotland. Wow. And during that time, I was then managing people and really starting to understand that that leadership um, was was something that that kind of fell more naturally to me than, than the technical side of things. Um, I moved internationally after that, just looking for a, a bit of a different different career. Um, so I, I moved internationally to get experience in debt, where I spent many years um, as a corporate risk manager um, and helping major projects in Australasia. And come back and I have been working, I worked as a contractor for a few years and then now currently I am the head of risk for Stantec, where I um, manage a team of professional risk people and um, supplying services and to, to clients. Yeah, no, amazing. Thanks for that, Donna. I think of everybody I've spoken to, you've probably got the least um, convoluted background. I mean, I find that a lot of people get sort of start risk. Well, I'm 27 now. I think I've mentioned on another podcast and um, I sometimes think that maybe I got into it a bit a bit too late, but then I've spoken to people sort of at the pinnacle of, of the profession who might have got into it into their 30s or something. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, and that's... People, people like me at 42 with 20 years experience. <laughs> <laughs> people always look at me and go, hmm, 20 years in risk management, I don't know. And I'm just like 20. So, uh, so yes, very fortunate. Definitely, definitely. In, in terms of your current role at the moment, do you are you sort of solely responsible for the sort of management of people or do you sort of, in inverted commas, get your hands dirty at all still? Or, or? So the, the um, culture of the organisation and our, our, um, our kind of ethos is that in order to be a great risk manager, you've got to be practising. Yeah. So I, I spend time with clients and rolling my sleeves up, which actually is what I love to do. So um, I, I do do that um, and I manage the team a few days a week. So, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Well, amazing. Thanks for uh, for going into some detail on that, Donna. So um, as everyone will probably notice from the, the title of the, the podcast today, we're going to be looking at the topic of sort of embedding ERM um, frameworks into organizations. And I guess really how senior leaders in those organizations can sort of help influence um, the risk culture and, and how their particular styles and traits um, can be positive and negative in that aspect. So um just to give some context, really, Donna, I mean, in terms of the topic that we're going to be discussing today, um, would you mind sort of going into a bit of detail about why it's particularly relevant to, to you and me and, and other risk managers? Yeah, well, I think just not over overstating, but um, having the 20 years of working with different industries and different personnel through through the, the journey that I've been on, one of the things that... Um, I started to notice as, as I've obviously went from an analyst to, to head of risks and, and departments is that different leadership styles were starting to, you know, um, look and feel to me like some lended itself to where risk culture and, 
and risk management was just easier and yeah. more conversations. Um, but there's no evidence to suggest that, and it could have just been my interpretation. Okay. So that coupled with people always saying things like, um, you know, risk management's failing to embed, um, risk management's not not getting the traction, even though it's got all these benefits. Why is that? And yeah. technically, we all can do these really sophisticated things and quantitative analysis and and all that. So I, I they got my mind working and thinking how um, powerful as senior leaders in helping risk and and creating that openness for potentially um, supporting risk management's embedment. So it, I took it actually, because I'm quite an inquisitive person, I, I went <laughs> to university and yeah. I just finished my MSc and this is what I really looked into and um, tried to really understand whether or not um, that there was any relevance and evidence in this. So um, that's, that's really why um, I, I started off looking at the, the topic and, and really I, I uncovered some really good insights. I think would be, you know, the risk professionals and even people that, that work with risk um, or, or in organisations in general, I think the insights would be, would be appreciated and to be shared. Certainly. 100%. Yeah, 100%. I mean, in terms of me, um, at the start of my career, I've obviously learning the, the basic principles and all the key fundamentals and all that sort of stuff. But the people factor was always sort of drilled into me and is still drilled into me as obviously the most important thing Like you can have the most educated people in the room, the fanciest frameworks, all, all the right things going on. But if you don't have the people buying into it, then it's all futile, isn't it? Um, yeah, and that's something, Patrick, that people that people say. But can you really evidence that, or is that yeah. just subjective impressions? And I think that's you know, is it just because I got on personally better with one maybe leader than another leader, so yeah. I looked more favourable? And I think that's what you know, the, the kind of smoke and mirrors that, that kind of goes with that kind of conversation. And that's what I really was trying to understand: how much focus should risk people? Um, spend on you know managing the boss definitely definitely and listen i'm really uh, really excited to hear some of your insights on it because um it's certainly something that i'd be interested to to learn more about moving forward um especially at the, the start of my career so brilliant um i guess the risk of sounding like we might be teaching some of the listeners to suck eggs in 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 regards to sort of giving some context around some of the definitions that we're looking at today. I do think it is quite important just in case there is anybody listening um, who doesn't necessarily work um, as in the risk profession or doesn't do it as, as um, exclusively part of their role. Um, so just in terms of just moving back to that point, sorry. So could you provide some definitions and, and some context around what it is that's meant by risk and risk culture and, and really what ERM is? Yeah, of course. So the, the risk definition, um, people that know me personally will know that I'll go for the shortest definition possible. Um, but the, the IRA and the ISO 31000, I think is, is very um, clear and concise in terms of it describes risk in, in the new 2019 um, offering and guidance document. It says it's the effect of uncertainty and objectives yeah. and obviously that that really moves risk management forward because you know 
I don't know how many organizations that, that people talk about risk and opportunity and, you know, but it really starts just culturally within risk. People gives them that opportunity to talk about threats and opportunity as a risk. Yeah. So we moved just basics on for me. So that's the that's the definition that I that I like to I like to um, kind of go to, and it's something that when I talk about risk today, it's threats and opportunities I'm referring to. Yeah. Um, the the risk culture. Um, I, I kind of go to the the IRM for that. Um, in terms of they have a risk culture, um, documentations etc. And they they basically categorise risk cultures being the values, the beliefs, the knowledge, and the attitudes and the understanding about risk that is shared between groups of people and all with a common purpose. So very much how the group interact and how they view risk management as a risk culture. ERM, um, I, I think COSO is the best, the framework, the COSO framework is the best for describing ERM. Um, it's, it's obviously a, an industry standard. It's quite a mouthful, um, but in, in essence, it's about, they say that ERM is a process, it's about strategy setting across the enterprise, defined to identify potential events that may affect the entity and manage to be and manage risk within the appetite yeah. to provide reasonable assurance um, regarding the objectives of the organization. So for me, that really just, you know, it gives you the whole of life for the risk management process from strategy all the way through to operations. Yeah. Of course, of course. So in terms of just referencing the standards you mentioned there, so there's obviously um, COSO, which is the American standard, I believe, isn't it? Um, yes. And then obviously yeah. ISO 31000. Are these, would you say these are probably the two that carry the most weight in terms of ERM and, and being applicable to ERM? Right? Yes, I think I think so. I mean, the, the um, <clears throat> COSO is the Committee of Sponsoring Organisation of the Treadstone Commission board um for anyone that that maybe doesn't know that or to reference it as an American standard um and it it basically was the first offering for ERM for any risk practitioner or people that that were looking for some guidance on how to do enterprise risk management so for me um that that is is the best the best offering for ERM the ISO 31000 um the the guidelines published um in, in the UK in 2018, they brought out a new a new guideline. Um, but for me, that that one's more about practitioners and how we do risk management and best practice using their industry. You know, people that write that standard are are industry leading experts. They, they're the how people, yeah. and I think document tell you how to do things. Whereas the the causal um, is much more about the framework, the strategy, etc. That that more people can can relate to excellent no excellent thanks for clearing that up donna and um like you say it's those um those standards should be obviously a staple of any risk professional <laughs> um certainly things that i looked at obviously including sort of corporate governance and the sort of evolution of that and um and then like you say sort of really honing on on the standards to to i suppose as an industry standard see where where that's set really um and it's really good because what what we are seeing and the support we're getting for risk management is these these standards and industry guidelines are are being updated because they're they're noting the fact that risk management is changing the complexity is changing so the standards are all you know within the last 
four years, I think it is in total. So we've got really good um, information and guidance out there now. Do you feel like they, they're obviously, like you say, they're, they're always sort of, it's, it, um, sort of changing and, and adjusting to, to the industry and stuff like that. Do you feel like they're in a good spot at the moment? Do you still feel like there could be room, room for improvement when it comes to, comes to the standards and ERM and, and that sort of stuff? Yeah, I, I think they're a good a good benchmark in place. I mean, they're always going to be areas that people can improve on, yeah. But in general, they're they're trying to cover, I suppose, the global global risk management, yeah. And every organization's different and, and their appetite is different to how how much effort do they want to put in their risk management in terms of the benefit they get. So for me, the, um, they are of, you know, a really good standard. They've, they're bringing in the strategy setting. So a lot of the things we've learned over the last 20 years, they're, they're, they're putting them in as minimum, as baseline. So for me, yeah, they definitely, they do the job that they, they're meant to do. Brilliant. Brilliant. Okay, cool. So just moving on, um, I guess, Donna. So in terms of sort of um, risk management and, and it being embedded in organisations, could you maybe explain a little bit more on, on the importance of that and, and really sort of why that is so important to make sure risk management is embedded in organisations from, from the top down, really? Yeah, well, for me, um, like if we, if we just look around the world that we now live in, yeah, we've got um, everything is, is, you know, we're living in a global pandemic, um, yeah. constantly about cyber attacks and, you know, how many phishing and ransomware emails and all this kind of stuff that's coming through and, and risk managers have to have to be able to provide that information to their, their organization to to enable them to stay alive survive you know during during times like this because if you I mean there, there's been lots of organizations for example in the global pandemic when we talk about um, moving online um you know um KFC, McDonald's, like the restaurant industry, because they couldn't get anyone through the door, just eat, it's just through the roof, yeah? yeah. So for me, it's it's um, things that we need to make, that, that is really good enterprise risk management, it's understanding the situation we're in just now, and using that to really take on opportunities and, and come out, and, and probably in a better place than they've ever been, and probably change the world whereas you look at you know Edinburgh Woolen Mills all these other companies that um you know Debenhams that that just haven't been able to survive in in this this um this environment so for me that just emphasizes with lessons learned hindsight that the world around us is getting more complex the risk information needs to be much more um real time in order to keep going and and surviving and, and being agile and fluid in this market um so it's tougher for organizations and more complex so for me that's that's one of the the reasons why it's important for organizations to have that enterprise risk management embedment yeah um and just to to also look at risk management not just as like as the, the framework state not just threats but Let's capitalize on opportunities where you know money's tight regardless of where you go in the world. Yeah. So how do you drive efficiencies? And that's all through that framework as well. It's not just about the threats that we're trying to manage for, for businesses. Yeah. So it's, it's, that's it. 
Yeah, his opportunities is 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 something that is so commonly neglected, isn't it? On on um, on risk registers, um, it's it's such a focus on threats. Um, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I mean, in terms of obviously uh, embedding enterprise risk management into um, into organisations and it being that top down approach, I'd probably and and most risk professionals would probably say that's sort of the panacea. That's like the that's the 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 goal. That's 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 where we all want to be, but obviously, so often it doesn't happen. Um, what would you say are like the main blockers for that? What would you say are the main reasons that ERM embedment is and can be so tricky? So I think that there's there's a couple of things. Um, the first thing I I, I generally believe that for me, risk management is top down, bottom up. And in order to actually get it right, you've got to have the two kind of coming into alignment. Yeah. And a couple of things that I actually see and, and through the, the MSC that, that we're blocking is, is things like it, things things like this, this the culture of the organization, they want to understand what the risks are. But when you understand what the risks are, maybe the appetite's not to hear them. Yeah. Yeah. And and that that can really um, take away some of the the strip that are or strip out the benefits of ERM, um, as well as that if you spend all that time gathering that data and then you get to a place where you can talk about it, you can interpret it, but no one wants to have it on their meetings or discuss it or it's the last item in the the agenda yeah. and out of time that's another blocker because then people start to understand that you know I'm putting all this effort in but how are we using the data so for people exerting effort that's a major blocker if you know that they're not they're not getting the the airplay that they need to get in terms of doing that the other thing is that um having the infrastructure so as I said bottom up is a, a really nice assured governed compliance way of understanding your risk profile yeah but doing that with all different departments understanding of risk different types of you know maybe objectives are different um they're not the common objectives that that just leads to like a myriad of really bad practices and you can't compare apples for apples so i think that's a, another another way um and one of the the interesting things, I suppose, maybe controversial, is um, senior <laughs> leaders, you know, they get to where they are because of their experience and, and they've done really well in maybe making decisions and it's kind of got them to where they are. Yeah. And some think there's a bit of a, a group thinking there that they don't need the data because I know risks 8% or I know risks 10% but it's not evidence backed up. And sometimes that can lead to people not actually taking the information and using the information. So that's another blocker I see on, on you know, like embedding the ERM. Yeah, certainly. I think um, in in my training in the early in the early stages of it, I've, there's been a, a huge focus on risk culture and it is staggering to when I've learned about all these heuristics and biases and stuff like that and, in terms of sort of risk as a profession, at least when you sort of have to be able to spot these when when you when you're dealing with people, and and it, even in my early tenure, I've, I've it's I didn't think that it'd be as obvious as it is. Um, but it's like you say in terms of like anchoring and and group think, especially it's um, 
is quite staggering, um, especially from leadership. Yeah, and if you look at history, you know, I'm, I'm sure that uh, Blackberry, uh, I'm not allowed, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I mean, that's fine. <laughs> oil companies, um, you know, probably didn't see Apple coming. Yeah, yeah. didn't take consideration in their strategies and, and look at the world now. Um, things like big, you know, contracting companies that, that have went into administration in the last few years that just when when you take when you lift the hood, you kind of go, how how was that not known? And yeah. a lot is that it's maybe known in its silos, because that's one of the major, I mean one of the I should have said that one of the biggest blockers at ERM is all the silos and the different objectives and and just just that visibility and everyone having a common goal I think is is just something that needs to needs to change yeah certainly um just out of um out of curiosity Donna in your career how many times have you um sort of engaged with a business where they have just had flawless embedded enterprise risk management if at all um it's a it's a question i've asked a number of people and and the question is the answer has always been pretty consistent but i'll i won't i won't uh, anchor you with that as uh, if, we're on, if we're on biases so i think that um i i probably haven't seen it done yeah um, in terms of the framework and the yep. way it should what i have seen is some organizations that do particular parts of risk management exceptionally well yeah that common, you know, like, for example, risk appetite. Companies might have risk appetite, but how do you know when you're promoting projects, for example, is within the appetite? And that top-down, bottom-up, and, and that governance check, I think is got, it's the, I'm not sure if it's the last thing that will ever get done, um, but it's, yeah, I, I haven't, I'll be honest, I haven't seen it done the way I'd love to see it done. Yeah, that's the answer that I um I sort of I was expect I was expecting, but I didn't want to uh, I didn't want to lead you into that. But um but but yeah, no, it's that's it's really Patrick, that's the dream. That's exactly. As I mentioned earlier, absolute panacea is is that it's just flawless, it's integrated, mm-hmm. it's um the, the culture's spot on, um, which mm-hmm. obviously is 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 arguably the most important piece of the puzzle. Um, but just touching on culture again, Donna, so obviously you've referred to it and defined it um, and its importance in embedding um, enterprise risk management. Um, I know we've, we've sort of touched on a, a number of points there, but from your perspective, would you be able to talk a little bit more on that and, and why you feel risk culture is so important and why it arguably it is the most important piece of the puzzle? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of things like, so when I started going down my route and thinking about risk culture and, you know, taking all the the, the lessons and the learnings that I've had over the years, it, you know, if we even if we go back in time, everyone, regardless of where we are in history, the Neanderthals had, had risk culture and I was managing risk and whether they would go out and, you know, um, their, their life for, for food, you know, and, and uh, you know, yeah. watching... I'm the Vikings at the moment and the, the, the <laughs> and um you know they're they're um they've got these ideas of you know the early philosophers and they're um if they're looking at the gods and they're making sacrifices because there's risk mitigation or they want to have you know food for the next year yeah so yeah. 
everywhere you look, there's kind of like that. And that to me is about beliefs. It's about the group. It's about that is the culture. And that's them managing risk in relation to their culture. So for me, risk culture is just, we're just really fortunate, I suppose, now that time's moved on, that risk management is looked at as a profession. And yeah. that we help everyone get on a really good playing field. Because some people might think, in the days, people were mad to do that. You know, I'm, I'm sure there'd be some onlookers thinking that was crazy. You know, not doing any risk management. Yeah. Yeah. So, we, I think we're just standardising it. But, but for me, um, the risk culture is really important because if if you don't have a risk culture, that tells me that no one's talking about it, no one's um capturing it, no one's um you know checking that the the organization's in a in a good state which means that the organization could could not maybe be there in in a year or you know like they're on maybe borrowed time so for me risk culture is a really good sense check of the health of the organization and and where they are in terms of of their operating so that's that's one of the things of you know risk culture to me and and the goal for me in terms of, and, and I think for, for most risk managers that I talk to is about risk culture where we can gather information that we can use all together as, as risk practitioners with, with our businesses that we, we support or embedded in and actually allow them to make the right information, like the right decisions with the information. So having yeah. the right information at the right time is just vital. Um, so, so that's really... I, what I what I really um, think about risk culture and getting down to basics is you just don't want to be data rich and knowledge poor. For me, that's the that's bankrupt risk culture. Yeah. So, yeah. risk culture for me is about you know the conversations as risk management happening. Yeah. No. Can I just say, Donna, that um, that first point you made around sort of cultures in sort of ancient civilization absolutely fascinated i've never thought of it like that before um I'm sure i'll say but there's i don't know if you've seen there's a film called apocalypso um mel gibson directed long long time ago yeah Maybe it's all that, all that stuff around risk mitigation and and um that's their form of risk management for sort of um um like managing risks that's that's all they knew and thinking about yeah. thinking about it as primitively as that it's um it's not something that i'd i'd thought of before um again just touching on I, I suppose a question that i had off the back of that um in terms of you sort of saying that a, a company with no risk culture is is obviously in a pretty bad spot and they could be in jeopardy and and um and in a year's time they might not be here do you think it would be it's worse going into an organization that has no risk culture or has a as a bad risk culture um which do you think would is is the trickier situation to as a risk professional to to try and improve i think if i had i've never um, i think what i would say is one that that maybe had no risk culture because I would hope, hypothetically, that was because <laughs> they didn't understand what risk was yeah. and they understand the benefits. Whereas the one with um, the understand what risk is and the culture is is not not as as we would see the value. 
that means there are barriers. Yeah, there are reasons why that's there. I like, you know, when I look at risk culture and, and a temperature check, I suppose when I go into a business now, I will say to people just like I'll, I'll pick out a project manager or a portfolio manager, even, you know, in a finance area. And I maybe say to them, you know, like, um, do you know where the risk documents are? And I'll maybe ask them, like, do you know what you've got to do? Is, it, is that monthly? Do you do that? And I'll ask some questions. And all of a sudden, people that, you know, this is part of the race chart that they do monthly, don't know where the document is, don't know when yeah. it was last updated. So, but that means that there's something driving that. And I think it's harder to change culture than maybe create a culture. I mean, I might be naive in that, Patrick, but... That's, no, that's, to, to, to be honest with you, apologies if I put you on the spot a little bit there. I think I think that says that's exactly what I would have said. Is like you say, it's easier to sort of educate someone than it, than uneducate someone. Um, whether or not it's a bit education is not seeing the value in risk. That is that's what they know, isn't it? So to unteach that can be a lot trickier than um, yeah. than. And, to start and sometimes, and and sometimes the root cause of that can be difficult <laughs> because it can be a very senior leader it could be you know other things driving that behavior which maybe you're not at the at the right level of the organization to influence you yeah. know so um yeah i think i think a, a plain <laughs> a blank sheet is always better than than trying to recreate yeah 100 percent. thanks thanks for that don it was absolutely fascinating um in terms of, I suppose, moving into this, the the second part of the topic, then, and in, in terms of leadership and and the influence that they have in in really improving or creating a risk culture, um, what what to what extent do you think lead senior leaders in organisations have an influence in in helping organisations and risk professionals as well embedding ERM processes? Yeah. So for me, um, and and many of the scholars and, and the people that I work with, I think that we, at, at various levels, all believe that, that senior leaders kind of help drive risk culture and ultimately are one of the biggest driving forces of embedding ERM. And I say that through my experiences. Um, over the last 20 years, I've had the privilege of working with lots of different levels in an organisation and the different types of leadership styles and behaviors um, and how that how that helps and, and just supports risk managers to do what they do best. Yeah. Um, so but one thing that did interest me, Patrick, and something I hadn't thought of before, and maybe maybe your listeners have, but um there, there was there was some surveys done and, and information um gathered in terms of leaders. And a lot of leaders actually didn't or don't realise how much influence they have on people. Oh, and really? it's, yeah, and, and I, I actually never thought of that. You know, like, even if you take it out of risk management, you think about a coach. Does a coach really understand the, the, the wholesale impact they have on the person? Yeah. And, you know, and the type of person, you may have a more, you know, a deeper impact on other types of people so it's quite interesting to understand that we as people they support really see them as being um you know having a big influence in helping us but they sometimes don't understand how much of an impact they have on on others um so 
So in terms of leaders, I think um, the kind of styles and, and characteristics, I kind of went back to the basics when, my, when I was looking at leaders and thinking, well, what kind of, you know, in order to say, do you think leaders influence, you've got to kind of understand what is a leader and what are they supposed to do, I suppose? <laughs> you know, like, cause you, you just don't know. I mean, yeah, of course. What, what does good look like? It's so subjective. And, um, you know, like, the great man theory with Robert Carlyle says that, that you know, leaders have an influence. They're born, they're born leaders, you know, they, they're, they're not taught. And then you go through the whole theory up till now where you've got traits theory and transformational theory and you start looking at good leaders um, and, and how they influence and how they, you see them in the world. So like, yeah. for example, Richard Branson, he's a, he's a more of a democratic leader, yeah. Now, everyone, I think, or, or people in the world. I mean, he's one of the biggest entrepreneurs in the world, yeah? yeah. And he's a democratic leader who he lets others come up with ideas. And if they're more way to their ideas than his, he will go with that, yeah? Even though he doesn't believe that it's the right thing, he, he does that with the people. You've got, well, conversely, on the other end, you've got like Steve Jobs, who's who's more of that kind of um, uh, autocratic type. He, he basically... Um, you know, when he when he came back in 1997 in the Apple, he reduced 70% of their production, um, you know, and, and he said it's, it's important to know what not to do as well as what to do. So yeah. you've got all these types of leaders, but they all kind of are effective in a different way. Yeah. And that was really fascinating. So what is it you need in a risk leader? You know, would, would Richard Branson's style be really good for risk management? Or would Steve Jobs be good for risk management? And it kind of got me thinking, you know, what 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 influence do they have? And I think we all agree they have influence. It's just what do we need as risk managers in an organization and the organization you're working on to what what kind of leader you need? I, th- I think it's very dependent on the organization. Yeah, I agree. It, it's, it's it's very sub um, very subjective, isn't it? Depending on not just the organization, but the people you're working with. I think understanding risk management, a, a large par- portion of that is understanding people and and um, sort of mirroring personalities. Some people might react particularly well to, to some um, sort of qualitative techniques. Some people might not. Um, but in terms of leadership, yeah, I completely agree. I, I, you took the question right out, of my, right out of my mouth was who would be the best risk leader would it be would it be Branson or would it be Jobs or what so the, the, there is a there is a kind of theory here right so um in terms of risk leaders transformational leaders are are probably the best for for us in risk management because what they do is they're very open and and I can talk to you about the styles and behaviors of leaders but they they, they promote openness yeah and they they also are flexible um and and they're they're great with with change yeah and they drive that and they motivate and they they kind of um because they do that they actually increase the capability of followers which is their employees naturally so it's not like embed it's not pushed on them they just kind of grow that so if you think about erm and where we are we've got risk management which we know you know helps organizations everyone knows it helps organizations but we can't get it embedded, you know? So if we had a leader that was open, that was 
creating this open culture to talk about risk management and through their discussions it's kind of like training and coaching and mentoring without actually officially doing it well, so yeah. it creates that whole environment so they are tends to be if you're trying to do you know the blank canvas um bringing in risk management they tend to be one of the leaders that would be quite successful i suppose if you were in an organization that had you know risk management sitting there but a bankrupt culture Steve Jobs might be better because he's just going to tell them what to do, yeah, yeah. and just change, um, and and then build on that. So you know, and this is why it's so interesting because it, it really is. You have to work on what is it that organisation needs, and it brings up the really interesting um, view of you know some of the conversations I had. They were they were quite thought leadership, and um, one of them, um, which which. I think the viewers would, would probably like to ponder on is that should when when you get boards and you get CEOs, they sit for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. But if you think about it, that organization's changing its vision, it's changing and it's and you know, survival mode, it's looking at different strategies. Now, if you bring in someone to do a particular task, like CEOs generally are, are brought in to do, but then your vision changes. Should the CEOs be more shorter term to accommodate the change in the business? Because yeah. sometimes what you get is, is an organization that, you know, successful organizations have CEOs and do something, they leave, next one comes in with a new vision. So um the pattern, and, and I think as time goes on, we'll see we'll see more of a trend there to see really? what, yeah. what does. Again, yeah, that's that's um that's really interesting and something that I hadn't really thought of. To be fair, I, I know of, um, I won't sort of list them off on the, um, on the episode, but I know of a few, a few organizations who are quite famous for chopping and changing um, mm-hmm. CEOs and, um, and sort of like you say, it's, it's to adjust to different strategies and, and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, in terms of, um, I suppose, the qualities that we've touched on that would make sort of a good senior leader um, and, and having sort of good influence and, and in, in embedding and attracting enterprise risk management. I mean, are, are there any qualities that you've come across in your career that have been particularly blocking or, or less attractive when embedding um, enterprise risk management? Yep. So I um, there are a couple of them. So in terms of the least uh, or non-attractive type, qualities and traits for um for leaders one of them is about bogged down in detail so what tends to happen is sometimes you get you know what leaders generally come up through an organization yeah and they start at a certain point and they're good at doing what they do yeah yeah if i take an engineer an engineer starts out in in the line of work and works maybe the way up to head engineer and becoming a senior leader in the organization but when, it, when they get to that level, they are probably, um, due to the nature of their job and what they've been taught and how to do things, they're quite detail-orientated. So yeah. leaders that are detail-orientated can frustrate risk culture because risk management is something that the risk is there. It's an opportunity that will be gone in a month's time. And if you've got someone that's really, really, um, you know, likes to ponder a lot. Dragging the heels a little bit looking at all the detail, the opportunity is gone. So yeah. that that can kind of be 
a quality, you know, in a in a technological organisation, it'd be deadly, yeah. So, because because you know, next month there's a new a new product, yeah. So that can kind of be a a, a quality that that is is not not really um great. And and what it does for ERM and to risk risk, I, I say risk managers and people that are accountable for managing risk is that they get frustrated yeah. because they this great opportunity or this threat I need help this is going to you know um, I, I need support on this and then all of a sudden it's like two or three weeks before they get back to them and they just think that well, what what the evidence suggests is that you know next time they just try and deal with it which then limits the risk conversations the openness exactly. so that's one of the biggest um kind of drawbacks um leaders that are um not failure tolerant, as we like to call them. So they create a blame culture. Yeah. And that that is a massive blocker um, and quality for when looking at risk management is is, is not great. Um, because it, it, it causes a shutdown, it causes silos and it causes people just to to hide away information and bad news hits you when it's happening. Yeah, blame culture is um something that i've um i've studied quite a lot and um like you say it's it goes without saying that that's going to be a, a huge um blocker in terms of sort of embedding sort of not just enterprise risk management but a risk cult a, a good risk culture um yeah. so yeah no no really fascinating um so just to touch on those two points just to recap really and Donna, so i've coined it as ponderous would you say that's that's fair to say um people who drag the feet um, and then blame culture really for you, for you are the top two things that you think are the real blockers in terms of um, successfully embedding enterprise risk management anyway. Yeah, because when you go right down into traits, like are they humble, are they self-reflective, um, you know, these kind of things, there, there wasn't much of a, a difference in terms of how unattractive that quality was, but those two were, were, were really high up there for, for people. How do you um how do you go about combating that then? I mean, in just from my experience, very limited experience at least, sort of in, in twelve months dealing with clients, I've found ta- a good tactic is to sort of establish early doors. Who, from a leadership perspective, might be a good ally to have um someone that that would be really good to have on side, and um, it might not be the person who makes the decisions or top of the tree, um, which obviously is 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 where this these problems can can happen have you sort of come across or or sort of any formulas in in when you're in in an organization you'd sort of task with embedding um enterprise risk management and you've come across these sort of personalities how you sort of combat those in a, in a similar yeah. fashion really yeah i mean one of the things that, that i like to do is i I like to understand the conversation that has to be had. So risk people sometimes don't get into the C-suite of organisations. And I have been lucky enough that in some of my positions I have. And in there, sometimes, as you say, the ally ally might not be the one that's making the the kind of judgment calls and and can make the change. But what I find is that takes longer. Because you've got to build rapport with the ally, then the ally's got to then push on the other person. And as I've just talked about in risk, if you're dragging your heels, yep. which that is the long route, 
of creating this culture. And that that kind of has, it's kind of like a double-edged sword in some ways. Yeah. So for me, one of the things that I, I quickly do is I, I understand who's the decision maker and then I try and work out what keeps them up at night. Yeah, what conversations, everyone's got a boss, yeah? So what does the boss ask that person that they can't answer and they have to fluff around or, you know, uh, distraction techniques to, to get, <laughs> yeah. get the question, yeah? So yeah. then you try and help them, yeah? It's all about building allies. It's all about building rapport. It's all about collaboration. Risk management is a support service and that's what we need to do. So for me... I can ask questions that are kind of open questions. So what do you want to get out of risk management? What questions are people asking you? How do you answer their questions? How does that make you feel when you can't answer the questions? I can help you get the questions, yeah? And the, those answers to those questions, but I need some support. And next month, you won't be sleepless nights for, for a meeting coming you know so just a, a remedy for their pain isn't it exactly exactly and that's how I have you know um it's it's influencing much more than I I think influencing is a really really key skill for risk people um in comparison to sometimes always trying to build rapport and and getting everyone inside things are just sometimes not done by committee no, 100%. And from someone who's come from a bit of a, a sales background in, um, in, a, in a previous life, um, it's, it sounds very similar to that, that um, sort of age-old technique in sales is you can't sell to someone if you don't know what their pains are. Like you can't just, that whole sell me this pen um, thing, like the, the whole point of that is to understand what people's pains are. And, and again, that's something that I hadn't really thought, thought about in terms of risk is you can't sell mm. risk management to someone if you don't know what they might need and, it for yeah and that that is like honestly so crucial and I think that's a really good point to be made because where we're at in in our journey of risk management in the world and where risk people are and lots of headlines risk feeling to embed why did the project fail when there are all these risk managers yeah risk management not you know returning its benefits and what I think is the key thing is we need to remember we sell risk management as a support service. Yeah. So we we are constantly, and, and some people look at it as you have to do it. And I don't know, maybe some listeners have children there, but with that, that approach on people is not great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can understand what's happening and how to, I suppose, in some way market how you can help people. That generally is just, it opens doors in comparison to pushing things on people. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think my learning definitely helps when you use, you've done it a couple of times today, Donna, which has been really useful. Like, for example, the whole children thing, selling with this pen, the ancient civilizations, just using analogies to try and sort of paint a little bit more of a, of a, of a fuller picture. Um, yeah, hopefully our listeners... Um, really enjoy that because that, that really really helps me as well um okay cool so again we've touched on sort of leadership traits leadership styles particularly bad leadership styles um i mean through your research and obviously i know you've, you've um you've sort of studied this quite intensely and stuff what key styles and behaviors 
did senior leaders possess um, that assisted in creating sort of much more mature risk organisations where ERM was already established or was more established? Yeah, so I think just for understanding, there are two organisations I looked at um, and they were, the, the front runners were well out in front, yeah, and these, these were um, things where leaders were effective communicators, um, i.e. they talked, a lot of it was about open decisions, yeah, not a risk register or a risk workshop. It was actually in their conversations. They would be like, what's happening with that project? You know, I'm interested. Wow. So it's more about, you know, senior leaders don't go into their office, close the door and don't talk to people, yeah? So it's about when they are having the conversations, are they focusing on threats and opportunities? Are they openly discussing it? Because what happens is people that are reporting to them, they kind of pick up psychologically. They go, oh, I better go and find out about that. And then the management starts coming just you know, um, for like osmosis, I suppose, in some ways, yeah? yeah. So that, that was one of the really, really key attributes um, that, that they had. Um, also kind of um, competent. So leaders that, you know, have been in a previous um, position where they've went through some trauma or crisis in a business, but they've came out and everyone's coming behind them. They kind of get that they're the expert. We can follow them. And that's great for risk management because all they have to see is we're going to focus on risk and everyone goes, they know what they're talking about. We're going to go focus on risk. Yeah. So risk uh, leaders that are seen as being very competent, that that kind of style and quality really helped quickly embed uh, ERM. Um, tone from the top, I mean, IRM has got a lot of that, um, lots of different writings from, you know, authors like Fraser and Simpkins and stuff. Um, yeah. So from the top, really, really key. And I think that's, that really is the kind of strategic viewer. Are you talking about it? And when people tell you things that that you are that kind of failure tolerant type of leader, you, you don't go, well, why is that happening? You know, they go, right, okay, well, how are we going to sort this? Now I know it's happening. It's not going to go away. Yeah. yeah. So leaders, qualities of leaders. But I think the key thing that I found um, in the whole of the evidence, I looked at traits, I looked at styles um, and behaviours and what really was the crux of it. Like when it comes down to it, it's about leaders that walk the walk, walk the talk, I think it is, walk the talk, yeah. <laughs> they, they are one team. They are in it with you. They are talking about risk and they're building, they're building their strength and helping others, um, you know, build on their strengths in terms of understanding, building their risk capability. But it's how they behave, not always their trait. So you can be very charismatic, but that wasn't really helping embed risk management. It's how they behave. So when you go to them, is it an open door? Is it, you know, is it a safe zone? Are they talking about it? So it's, it's more their behaviours that are really the driving force of, of how enterprise risk management gets embedded. Yeah. No, again, that's that's um, it's a really interesting point, Donna. I think, I think you've touched on it um, with me offline before when you've sort of said, this really sort of came 
um, came to the forefront with you and you've been sat in meetings and you want risk management to be point number one in the, uh, in the meeting thing, not right in the back <laughs> after everyone's had a coffee and, yeah. a, and a fag or whatever. Yeah. Um, sure, sure. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. So just, uh, I suppose, as we sort of draw, draw to a bit of a, a closing down the last couple of points, I mean, from your research and, and I guess from your career as well, were, were there any sort of issues that senior, leader, senior leaders face when embedding risk management? Um, obviously, we've sort of touched upon them having the main influence, but I guess what we haven't really touched on is senior leaders who might have all the right intentions and the best intentions, but they've just mm. struggled, just struggle to embed yeah. it. Well, I think as well, I mean, we, I can only imagine what it's like to be, a, you know, a senior leader in a global organisation because you just can't get around everyone, can you? And of course. In some ways, you can't ever always please everyone either. So the, the three real standouts that I think um, I had, I had quite a lot of um, conversations and interviews with senior leaders and in, in global organisations, and one of the one of the key things where. Um, Risk can be seen as a personal issue. So, for example, a person might not want to digress or, or divulge what it is that's actually a threat because they might see that as a reflection on them. Yeah. And so leaders, they, they need to really understand that their direct reports and, and, and all the way down the business that needs to do this because they need to have that kind of emotional intelligence to understand someone's someone's not telling me everything because I know them well enough. This is about building relationships and, and making them safe. So that is something that a senior leader really will, will struggle with because they have to really break down the barriers yeah. in order to even, even if it is a safe zone, how does that person know it's a safe zone to take that leap the first time? Yeah. So they need that that is something that senior leaders that it's a big challenge for them yeah. um as well as that they've also got you know because of the the stress and the you know you know all the all the regulation and the external influences that they have to accommodate as well that can really sometimes it, it was seen to maybe change the way their natural leadership style is um which which sometimes you know can be detrimental i suppose um because they they sometimes may, may not agree with what they have to do, but they need to do it for a, another purpose. So that's another thing that you know we should be recognizing when when we're dealing with senior leaders. Not always is it is it them that, that may be making that call, but yeah, that's, that's I suppose why they say they get the big bucks. And <laughs> exactly. yeah, and um, the the other the other one that um, was really important. Now the last one is that. If senior leaders don't get involved in creating the objectives and the vision for their company and really drive that down, they face a major problem because what they've got is everyone either um, trying to, to satisfy someone else's vision that will never maybe meet theirs. Yeah. Um, they will always be dissatisfied. So it's about being committed at the start. And if they don't, they, f they face a real challenge to change that. Yeah, no, again, that's that's uh, really interesting, Donna. I think a couple of things, that, a couple of points for me, really, in, in terms of back to, going back to risk culture a little bit, 
Um, is when, again, we, I think it's a conversation we've had um, offline a couple of times, but risk culture for me, I've heard of in a couple of instances can, can just be a case of if this person, if I'm chasing my tail, trying to get hold of this person for ages and ages and ages, and they don't come back to me, you've got to sort of use the threat of escalation to go to a senior leader. Um, or it might be a leader that you're trying to get hold of to go to their seat, to go to their boss, which obviously that's the, the last thing you want to do when, when sort of um, in trying to encourage a good risk culture. Do you think that's always having those sort of situations is always a reflection on the senior leader and how well they're embedding risk management into the organization? Or do you think senior leaders can, can have the best intentions, but some people might come in from another organization and they might have a previous bad experience or they might have a from a particularly poor risk culture? Um, and and yeah. do you think the senior leaders, that's something that, again, is, is a reflection on them and, and, and the culture within the business? So I think there are two kind of elements to that. Um, so the first one I would say is that if if you're a risk manager and you've got someone that's that's um, ignoring your your um, your chat, I suppose, or, or not getting back to you, a lot of people just email and constantly email, and people need to. I mean, it's hard just now in a global pandemic, yeah. Um, but there is lots of other ways of getting in contact with people. Yeah, of course. Going to their, their computer. And I think we all have to remember that no one turns up to work to not do a good job. I've never known anyone walk into an office and say, oh, I'm here today, but I'm not going to do a good job. Yeah. So it's about understanding the reason why that person probably is not getting back with an answer and trying to help them. I think risk management is such a they're in um, risk management provides an opportunity to people to really enable others to succeed. Hundred percent. Something we don't we don't probably focus on as much. Um, so have that conversation before escalating. You know, understand. Try and put your, yourself in their shoes. How how can I help you? You know, because I've got I need to get it. I need you to get it with me. So let's do the journey together. I'm not just going to go up above you and then potentially cause a big problem and then I'll never get anything again, right? So there has to be that that level of you being accountable to really build the relationships. I don't think we can just naturally say that's the senior leader, yeah? But what I think, what I do believe is that senior leaders have a responsibility to understand what's happening in their organisation. And if they are aware of things, they should be breaking those barriers down by setting out in their stall, this is how I expect you to, you know, respond to people. Risk is something that I'm very interested in. And this is the reason why, yeah. So so that that does have an accountability for a senior leader because I'm going and trying to get someone to, to tell me about risk management and um, the senior leader's not interested. Um, you know, that... You, you sometimes can be fighting a losing battle unless you're very, very good at building rapport with people. Um, so, so for me, that they have a responsibility, but it is very much a tone from the top. It's about this is what I accept, this is what I don't accept. And if their organisation is in a low culture, they need to support and enable risk teams through training, through budgets, through whatever it is, 
to enable them, their organisation for the competence and capabilities to, to make every, everyone feel valued and give them the information they require. Yeah, so yeah. kind of a two-pronged approach on that. I, I don't think everything naturally comes down to the failure of the, the senior leader. Yeah, no, definitely. And and just a, just a bit of a thought I've had then, um, Donna, in terms of um, really um, encouraging senior leaders to to invest their time and and their their energy into risk management. Have you noticed over your career or through your studies, there's a there's a particular method or formula to do that? Is there a, is there a secret to, secret to success? Is there a carrot on a stick for a for a, for a senior leader or do you think it all all boils down to the person? I think there is a carrot and stick. I still think there's an element of subjectivity in terms of what that leader's like, yeah, and what what drives that leader. I think that that you need to know. Um, I think the carrot and the stick is that, you know, I, I referred to earlier in the podcast, and it's about what what is it, what is their vision and how do they like for me, I would ask, what is their vision? How can I help them get to that vision? You know, a senior leader probably has a lot of, you know, there, there's good stress and there's bad stress, right? So hopefully it's a good stress, right? They have a lot of stress. They've got a lot on in their mind and, and at work. So how do you provide them with confidence that they just don't have to worry about you? Yeah, you've got it. Yeah. And when they come to you, they know it's going to be answered. And I think the secret of that is actually understanding what your senior leader needs. And then when they come to you, you're... I've got it. There's your slides. I'm going to talk you through it. This is what it is. That really builds up trust. And when you've got trust, the senior leader, when you ask, we really need to do this, we need to do, you know, we need to implement, you know, some risk training or whatever it is, they kind of go, all oh, right, okay, is that because I need that for this? And you go, yep, because it's going to get more. I've never, ever, ever had a senior leader that has been given really good, assured risk information that has not asked for more yeah i've worked in organizations where you know i think i I had spoke to you where we went from having a four page kind of elt paper and every metrics in the organization was on this elt paper um, and risk had a full a full page of four pages and that what that says to a business just with one report is that all eyes are on this? This is important, and that just creates and and it's, it's I suppose in some ways it's the simplest thing to do to create five or six metrics. Yeah, <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> um, but it's the influencing of the senior leaders to get them to understand why it's important to have these five and not something else. Yeah, it's yeah. about shifting their mindset, and that I, there's no easy way of that. I suppose the long and short of it, Patrick, there's no easy way of that. But I think that the risk managers, we do a lot of managing down. We facilitate, we help down, but we don't really influence, maybe um, manage the boss. And I think when you go up, it's easier to, to push down um, than, than limiting. You know, we're advisors and um, uh, over the, the years, more people I facilitate risk workshops we need to get into the place where we advise we are a leader in ourselves. we advise people we, we make recommendations we interpret data 
we don't type data in yeah so that that's where i think the change could come yeah senior leaders um and, and right now i think risk i can see going on that journey um but it's it's probably in its infancy at the moment yeah no amazing donna listen i think um i think you provided some amazing insights and 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 something some things that i'll certainly take away um just i guess to recap on on everything we've said then really so i don't know if 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 there's a a risk professional listening at the moment who feels like they're banging the head against the wall a little bit trying to uh, influence senior leadership or really trying to embed risk management in uh, obviously the secrets of success that i've sort of extrapolated from this around um, obviously trust is a, is a huge one secondly is is really understanding the, the pains that the senior leadership are going through nurturing that relationship around that um, is there anything at all from that sort of just to I suppose really high level to sum up what we've discussed advice that you would give to um, to a risk professional in that in that position outside of those two points yeah I think that um, the, the key the key for me is that you, you need, as a risk manager, you need to keep learning, be open. The best thing for a risk manager is feedback. It's, it, it makes you vulnerable. Yeah. But feedback is a gift. And as, as I said at the start of this podcast, the world is changing very, very quickly. And we provide advice on risk and it's all about change. Yeah. So for me, the, the key thing for, for a risk manager um, and, and making things embed and to move things forward is about, you know, listen to people, understand things won't work. That's the nature of our business and keep moving forward. Amazing. Amazing, Donna. Well, as I ask all my guests, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if um, we just covered it there, but um in terms of the advice that you would give yourself, um, if you could give yourself some advice at the start of your career, I suppose it's applicable to people who are at the start of the career right now. What what would that be? So I think there's 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 three pieces of advice. I always give things in three, right? Love it, love it. Patrick. So three, three things, Patrick. <laughs> so first thing for me is that risk management's a generalist area, and risk managers need to understand that, yeah. And we cover lots of different things, kind of sometimes looked at as jack of all trades. Yeah. Lots of people refer to it as like that, yeah. And what, what I would say to a risk manager is always be inquisitive. Ask the questions, yeah. No matter how silly you think the questions are, they probably are very, very relevant. Um, your value as a risk manager is about stress testing, challenging um, others to think about things they haven't naturally thought about and that's your value to the business so that's the first thing keep asking the questions you know put yourself out there the second thing um i think i've touched on it quite quite a lot through the the podcast but risk management to me is about building relationships yeah it's about getting trust it's about influencing it's about collaborating and and a lot of risk managers you know i i can hear now we're talking more about the qualitative data. We're doing, you know, cost modeling. We're doing schedule modeling. We're giving data and one point of data. And I think that, that that's okay. But also great risk managers um, require a lot of softer skills 
and they need to be able to coach and mentor not only risk professionals but those round about them that they influence so remember to always be self-reflective that's that's something that I would have given myself as a as a young risk manager and to make sure feedback is a gift um, it makes you a better risk manager and lastly um, risk management is learning is never done 20 years in and I've just finished an MSc prime example yeah um, we, we live in a complex world it's all about keeping it simple um, but most importantly have fun in your career um, and and that brings passion if you're having fun you're going to be passionate and I think that's when you can look back and you will say you know 20 30 years time I had a fulfilled career because you've loved what you were doing no absolutely love that I think um that last point have fun is uh it's just so true in in any anything you do especially your job where you spend probably 80 well you do spend uh do spend like 60 80% of your week doing it um but yeah in terms of sort of questions and stuff I made a bit of a promise to myself when I sort of completely changed careers um and went into risk management just never stop asking questions no matter how daft it is how much time you can waste sort of sat there not not worrying about whether a question's silly or not and you could have asked it um yeah and the four and yeah and constantly challenging the four whys um just keep on keep on um keep on prodding and poking and but honestly Donna that's that's really really sound advice so um so yeah amazing um very last point from me so if anybody wants to get in touch with you um off the back of the off the back of the podcast whether it's um to discuss just risk management or more specifically this topic in general what what would be the best way to get hold of you linkedin so um donna festerazzi on linkedin um just send me a message and i'm more than happy to have the discussion cool i was gonna say i will i will put the, a link to your linkedin profile in the podcast notes but i am um, I'm, I'm gonna assume there's not too many donna festerazzi's out there um it's hard to spell patrick <laughs> <laughs> no no i've had plenty of practice now um but yeah no other than that donna thanks so so much for uh, for coming on i've uh, i found this discussion absolutely fascinating and um and i'm sure our listeners will too thank you for having me no problem at all pleasure is all ours cheers donna And that's it for this week. If you enjoyed this episode of Riskologists, be sure to follow Optimize on all of our social media channels where you can subscribe to this podcast and be notified of every episode so you don't miss a thing. Please like, share and leave reviews to help support us and increase our reach within the wider risk community. And join us next time where we'll be chatting with another leading figure in the world of risk. Until then, thanks a lot for listening and take it easy.